You are listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning. Today's scripture is taken from Psalms 128 verses 1 to 4, as well as Deuteronomy 6 verses 1 to 9. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, a song of essence. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Deuteronomy 6 verses 1 to 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do to them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, And be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lay down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It's so so good to be here. Uh, A few weeks ago, um, Pastor Tu and Pastor Guna both acknowledged their wives uh, when they were up here, immediately after they finished reading the the scripture. I shall follow in the same spirit. Let some of you ask me how come I never acknowledged my wife. So my wife was uh, leading the worship this morning, (laughs) okay? And I I praise God that... uh, that we can be partners in ministry. I think that's precious to me. Well, this morning, I want to go straight into the message. So the past weeks, you were given the biblical definition of Christian uh, flourishing by Pastor Tu. So he described it, he'd give a definition to, you, to it, he, he told you what it is. So if you cannot remember, go back and listen. But you were also encouraged to bring flourishing by Pastor Guna and Pastor Tu to cities, nations, and communities. Now today, we're going, to turn the, we're going to turn inward a little bit. And we're going to be looking at, you know, and seek to find out how we can bring flourishing to our family. And this is the way I want to start. I want to start with a premise, a premise. And this is the premise. The gospel touches 
every area of our lives, resulting in human flourishing. Let me say that again. The gospel touches every area of our lives, resulting in human flourishing. Would you bow your hearts as we pray? Father, we ask that you, um, by your Holy Spirit, would you come and bring life through your word to each one of us? Because, Lord, we need to hear your word. We need to receive what you have purpose and design for us today. So, Lord, we open our hearts, and I pray for myself, Lord, that, that the word of my mouth, the meditation of my heart will be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, what that statement means is this. The gospel, which is the good news that Jesus gave his life on the cross for our salvation. Therefore, as Christians, believers, and followers of Jesus, we have been saved from sin and death. Amen? Okay? Not only that, the gospel also reconciles us with God through the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. However, the gospel not only saves us, it also shapes the way we lift out every aspect of our lives. Now, Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, when the truth of the gospel touches our lives, firstly, it impacts our faith so that we no longer strive to be saved by our own good works and righteousness. In the last few weeks, you have, you have been told that the gospel gives us a mission in life that is greater than ourselves for God's glory. We also know that the gospel helps us understand that our vocations, our calling, are given to us that we may bring Him glory and also to bring His shalom to the people we interact with on a daily basis. But the gospel also impacts our relationships, especially our family. So what I'm trying to say is this, my brothers and sisters, we can flourish in our faith, in our work, our relationships, our endeavors. Jesus said this way in John chapter 10, verse 10, the second part. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In other words, church, it is absolutely biblical to trust and pray for God to help your children to excel in their studies. It is absolutely biblical for you to be praying that your spouse will perform above expectations in their career. And you can also pray and trust God for protection against illness and premature death in your family. Psalms 92, verse 12 and 13, which is the, uh, the, 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 the word of encouragement today, says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord and they flourish in the courts of our God. Now this morning as we focus on the you know, flourishing in the family, we want to really ask the question or try and answer the question, how do I bring flourishing to my family? Right. So we know that flourishing is God's design and that it is absolutely biblical to be praying for our flourishing in our family. But what? 
How? How do I bring flourishing to my family? Whether you are a father, whether you are a, a mother, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, grandchildren, uncles and aunties, or even as spiritual parents, how do we bring flourishing to the people that God has given you influence over? We're going to look at three things this morning. First, we're going to look at the importance of family. And then we're going to look at the key that will bring flourishing to our family. And the last, we're going to be looking at the practice of flourishing. So the importance of flourishing, the key to flourishing, and the practice of flourishing. Let's begin with the first one, the importance of family. Now, the institution of family is God's design. Agree? But I would like to also say it is God's masterpiece. So let me illustrate it this way. Artists are recognized by their works or their creation. Am I correct? Especially those that are important or popular ones. So if you look at the ceiling of the 16th chapel, what comes to your mind? Who comes to your mind, rather? Who's the artist? How come nobody dare to say? Michelangelo, that's right. Right? Okay. You're, we're getting it, but we're slow to start this morning. Now, if you, if you hear this tune, who comes to your mind? Beethoven, that's right. This is the, first, the fifth symphony, um, uh, movement one. Now, I'm going to play this tune, and you tell me what comes to your mind. Well, did I put up George Lucas already? Uh, okay, so you know. <laughs> That's right, Star Wars. George Lucas in Star Wars. Now, when you look at creation, who do you think of? For many of us, we will say God, right? In my recent trip to Timor, I have a lot of time to spend with Danny, one of our graduates from Shalom School, who is currently working with me as my colleague in Care Channels in uh, Timor. And he told me something uh, that, 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 that alerted me on some things I need to be teaching when the next time I go over to Timor. Because he says that there is a movement, because there are so many NGOs trying to help the Timorese. And they bring in with them the secular mind, the popular uh, culture. And, you know, they are encouraged to think of nature as provided by Mother Nature. And I realized, hi, hey, I, I need to talk about God who is the creator. You see, when God spoke the galaxy into being, the skies are filled with the stars. When God filled the oceans with water and he formed the land with all its unique creatures what do you see you it displayed god's magnificence and majesty isn't it when god formed the family it is his masterpiece why why do i say that because it revealed his passionate devotion towards us his bride when god formed his, the family, it revealed not only his passionate devotion, but his compassionate patience towards us, 
his children. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Did you know that even Jesus himself was born into a family? Now that says something about the importance of family because Christ, the Son of God, had to submit to his earthly parents. He played and learned together with his siblings. He must have received love and care from his earthly family. And it was within the nurturing care of his family that, that uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 52 tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now we know how important our family is, right? Because our family is the institution we draw the most meaning from. You know, from the day you're born, you know, your family gives you your identity. You know, give you your language. Give you the expectations about how the world should work. Before we are individual citizens or voters, we are first and foremost part of the family. The importance of family. Now, in Thomas Hardy's novel, 1886 novel, The Mayor of Casterbridge, some of you may have done it as your literature book, I don't know. There was a correct character in there called Michael Hanchett. He committed one of the most despicable deeds possible. While drunk, he sold his wife and daughter for a few pounds. In one merciless act, he cut off the very people intended to be a man's blessing, his family. Of course, not surprisingly, you know, Hanchett reaped a, a reward of loneliness and sorrow. Even though he regretted his actions, and even vowed to never drink alcohol again. Now, I, I, I use that to, to try to make this point. Not, well, none of us here would probably would sell our family today, but many people have strained relationship with their parents, with their siblings, with their children. Many wished that the bonds within their family is stronger and more meaningful. Do you know the truth is that it is possible for you to bring flourishing to your family? If you don't know, I want to tell you, it is biblical. It is possible. How? You may be a son. You may be a, 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 a grown son already. And you are ready to start your own family. But you can still be catholic in mending and healing the pain in your parents' marriage. You may have an adult child who is trying to find their own path and identity outside of the Christian faith. Do you know that you can still be praying for their flourishing? You, that you can still trust God that He will order their steps and one day lead them back to Him. Or you may be a mother who is guilt-ridden over your obsessions for your children's academic results. See, the good news is that there is a way to break free from the fear and then help your children learn to see God as their perfect Heavenly Father who loves them unconditionally. Then the question is, how? Or is possible? How? And that leads me to my second point, which is the key to bring flourishing to our family. Pastor 2 gave us the definition. Today, I would like to give you a key. 
that I pray will unlock flourishing in your family. And for that, we look at our first text today from Psalm 128, verses 1 to 4, that was read earlier. And it says this, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His way. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus the men be blessed who fears the Lord. I believe what Psalm 128 uh, uh, for us means or presents for us is God's intention for the family. By the way, this psalm is called the psalm, a song of ascents, meaning that it is sung as the Israelites made their way to worship and offer sacrifices at the temple. It would be common, you know, uh, for uh, women and children, you know, for families to journey together. And then the women and the children will be walking just right behind the father. And they will be going to the temple and they will be watching, you know, uh, uh, the priest made atonement for their sin. You know, in this kind of a trip, it will be a perfect time for the husband, the wife, the father, the mother, the son, the daughter to, re to be reminded of something very precious. And this is this. And it is this. God delights in blessing the man whose heart belongs to the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears God and to choose and chooses his way. All the visuals, the walking up, the journeying up to, uh, to, to Jerusalem, to the temple, the singing of the song, watching how the priests make the atonement, beautiful reminder, beautiful picture. And Psalm 20, 128, tell, 128 tells us, you know, give us a picture rather, a picture of flourishing. And here is a picture of, of fruitfulness. All will be well with you. You shall be blessed by your labor, the work of your hands. It's a picture of abundance, of wellness, both physically and mentally and spiritually. And we can tell that the flourishing flows down from the father, from the husband to the wife and children. And here, in this, the psalmist likened the, the wife to a fruitful vine, representing vitality and beauty. And it's contrast with the adulteress of Proverbs 7 verse 11, who is loud and wayward. The Bible says, whose feet does, uh, do not stay at home. And here in, the, in, in Psalm 128 verse 3, the wife is, is, is likened to a fruitful vine within your house. And that, what, what that means is simply she is both productive and faithful. And we come to the children. The children are described as olive shoots which symbolizes longevity and continu continuity for the family. So I want to say to you, you know, husband and wife, those who are here, you're not only building a, you're not only filling a home with children and all that, you're building a community of faith. and building a household of faith. What's my point? My point is simply this. The fear of the Lord makes family life wonderful. Let me say that again. The fear of the Lord makes family life wonderful. Because I believe God's design for your family is blessing, fruitfulness, wellness. And I believe that the fear of the Lord is the key to flourishing for your family. The fear of the Lord is the key to flourishing your family.
And this is a good place for me to just insert something. And this is it. There is no perfect family. After all, well, we say that God wants us to flourish. Well, we say that it is absolutely biblical and we can pray and trust God for it. I want you to know there is no perfect family. After all, in Psalm 128, they were going to the temple to offer sacrifices for their sin. Seeing those words probably reminded them that they missed God's mark and needed His forgiveness. It's the same for us today. No one will always walk in the ways of God. Marriage is not constantly a celebration. Sometimes, children may seem more like thorns than olive shoots. But nevertheless, everyone, whether we are husband, wife, or son, daughter, we must be willing to contemplate Psalm 128 and recognize our own sins. If our family are not flourishing, would we look first at our own, uh, our own hearts and ask ourselves the question, am I fearing the Lord? Am I walking in His ways? You see, personal holiness is never merely personal. Like a pebble thrown into a pond, a man's character ripples into the lives of others, especially those closest to him. But that leads us to the question, so what does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to fear God? Is there a right kind of fear and a wrong kind of fear? The answer is yes. There's a right kind of fear and there's a wrong kind of fear. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, Adam and Eve were hiding from God because of fear. So those of you who read that passage, you will remember that they took the, the fruit from the tree of knowledge, and e, uh, of knowledge and evil, and they realized that they were naked. They, they ran to hide and they covered themselves. So it was God was walking in the cool of the evening in the garden and called out, Adam, Adam, where are you? But they were both hiding. And later on, uh, 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 Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. See, they were afraid because of their disobedience. And by hiding in fear, they were trying to avoid the consequences of sin. It's Daniel Castello who said that, or who called this the Adamic fear. This is what he said. He says, the Adamic fear is ultimately a kind of aversion to the consequences of sin. And it's often marked by a refusal to take responsibility for one's own condition. This is not the kind of fear, you know, we want. Because this kind of fear causes us to withdraw from God, the very God who has mercifully forgiven our sins through the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, when I was thinking through this, I was reminded about myself. Uh, when I was uh, a young boy, probably between six to eight years old, I was, I was very fearful of my dad. I was very fearful of my dad for several reasons. One of them is that my dad was very um, quick-tempered. And he handled us very roughly. In fact, he has abused us. So I've shared this before. You know, he would tie me to a trishaw 
you know, uh, for half a day in the, in the midday sun. You know, he would chain me up and burn my feet. Well, I must admit that I probably was very naughty, very mischievous, but I was so afraid of my dad. I would hide from him. One time, you know, I can't get this off my mind, one time he literally chased me so that he can give me a good beating. But he wasn't chasing me with a cane, he was chasing me with one of his knives because he used to be a butcher in an abattoir. I was so afraid, I cried. As I, and thank God that day I outran him. <laughs> I couldn't run to my dad for anything because I had the kind of fear that caused me to avoid him, to hide from him, to run away from him. But today, I have a father that I can run to that I no longer need to have the wrong kind of fear because there is a right kind of fear. And again, quoting from Castello, he says that he calls this the mosaic fear. He says that the mosaic fear is, on the other hand, a healthy orientation towards God that draws us deeper into relationship with Him and all that this relationship entails. And he explained this from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12, to 13. In this text, it was Moses addressing the people of Israel after his encounter with God at Mount Horeb. And this is what he said. And now Israel, this is Moses speaking. He said, now Israel, what does the Lord your God requires of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve him, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. You see, the right kind of fear leads, you know, the right kind of fearing God leads to intimacy with and obedience to God. Let me say that again. The right kind of fearing God leads to intimacy with and obedience to God. Instead of hiding in fear of God's judgment, the right kind of fear results in our flourishing. I want you to know that when finite creatures like us get a glimpse of the infinite holy God, a response of fear is not only proper, it is inevitable. When you read Isaiah 6, you see the encounter of, of, of Isaiah, you realize that in our response is, woe to me, I'm a sinner. And God coming and says, no, I love you. I've accepted you through Christ. Today we can understand that. Today I can run to God my Father and not away from Him. To rightly fear God is to understand that because of Jesus, we can, in the words of, uh, of Costello, to be truly facing God. That instead of running away, we're running to Him. See, the fear of the Lord is life-giving because it is the condition of those who are truly looking towards Christ for complete forgiveness and redemption. So I want us to know this morning that the fear of the Lord is not a feeling that we, we, we try to master up. No. The fear of the Lord leads us to a regular reflection of our holy God who became sin for us 
So instead of hiding, we are enabled and sustained by God's grace to truly turn towards God for healing and restoration. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My, pray, my prayer is that God help us to walk in the fear of the Lord today. Walk in the right kind of fear that causes you to run to God and not away from Him. So far, we have talked about the importance of family. We talked about the right kind of fear of God that results in flourishing, the key to flourishing. Now allow me to give you some practical applications to bringing flourishing to your family. Which is the third point. The practice of flourishing. For this, we look at the second passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. And we want to draw applications from this text. And we want to see how we can lead our family into a place of blessing, flourishing, abundance, protections, vitality, beauty, and continuity. He says this in verse 1. I think I have it on the slide. And instead of beginning from verse 1, I want to just read from verse 5 to 9. Oh, do I have verse 1? No, I have verse 5 to 9. So I'm going to read from verse, verses 5 to 9. And this is Moses. Remember, Moses was giving them uh, the, the commandments again. And he told them that you need to do this. You need to walk in the fear of the Lord. You need you know, to walk in His ways so that it will be well with you, that you can multiply greatly. And he, and he says, Hear, O Israel. Okay, that's verse 4, I believe. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. Very important. He is supremely, ultimately God and God alone. In verse 5, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them. And what does he talk about? He talked about the Lord our God is one. He is supreme and there's no one like him. What do you talk about? Loving God with everything you have, everything you are. You shall teach them diligently. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. I want to say this. Oh, you shall bind them, verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. So not only will you talk about it, it must be modeled, demonstrated. It must be visible. And the Jewish people took it this all the way. Huh? They now, even in Singapore, if you want to know whether it's a Jewish home or not, you look for something that is on the doorpost. He says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall, they shall be as frontlets before, between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I want to say this. That the flourishing of your family begins with you. That's the first application. It begins with you. Whether you are a father, a son, a daughter, 
a brother, an uncle, an auntie, it begins with you. You want to bring flourishing? The first practice is know that it begins with you. It starts with God and your love for Him. It starts with God and your love for Him. That's what the text says. But what does it mean to love God? I know that loving God is not just rhetoric. It does not say only. Because loving God requires both intentions and actions. Do you know that loving God with all your heart, soul and mind literally means loving God with everything? It encompasses everything. You see, when Jesus was asked in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, by a scribe, you know, which commandment is the most important of all? He replied in Mark 12, verse 30. He says this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus added another dimension because that was how the Greek would have understood what it means to love God with the whole person, your total being. Listen, we love God with our hearts, with all our hearts, when we love Him supremely and exclusively. Jesus and Jesus alone is enough. We love God with all our soul when we find our ultimate satisfaction in Him more than any other person or any other thing. We love God with all our mind when we commit to follow His ways and thoughts and when we make decisions to obey Him and obey His commands. We love God with all our strength when we endure suffering and persevere even in the face of trial. You want to see flourishing? The first is to understand the key is to walk in the fears of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord and choose His way. How do we practice flourishing in our family? Love God. Love God with all your heart. Make sure He is the first priority in your life. Love God with all your soul. That means that we are ready to check if anything else is taking the place of God in our lives. Taking the place of our devotion, taking the place of our delight, taking the place of our desire. The second practice of flourishing is becoming a witness. Becoming a testimony. That's what verses 7 to, to 9 basically is saying. You can bring flourishing to your family through your words and your actions as you go about your daily life. I want to say this. You don't need to plan a very big event or, or a very expensive holiday. Or for that matter, everyone here who is a dad, you don't need to have formal theological training to teach and talk about loving God with your family. In fact, the Bible tells us you just bear witness to your loving God. Yes, sure, you will have to teach them, but you just talk about it when you are sitting down, when you are, when you are walking, when you are lying down, and when you rise. Those are the normal rhythm of regular life. Right? You sit, you walk, you lie down, you get up. The normal rhythm of life. And God is saying, you want to bring flourishing to your family? Your life will be a witness. 
your actions, your words matters. You see, I believe that if Jesus is in your life and you are engaged in the life of your family, then you can be a witness by bringing Jesus into the struggles and joy of both your life and theirs. I would like us right now to pause for a little while and reflect on what we say, our words, what we say to our parents, what we say to our spouse, what we say to our siblings, what we say to our children. You see, what we constantly talked about tells your family where worth is found for you. Let me say that again. What we constantly talked about, you know, tells your family where worth is found for you. So for example, if you're constantly talking about performance and results, then those closest to you will try, would likely to try to live out their lives, trying to prove their worth to you by their achievement because it's based on your standard of what is worthy or what is worth. The challenge this morning, if you are willing to accept, is not only to love God with everything, but to also teach those you have influence over to do the same so that there may be flourishing in your home. So first, flourishing begins with you loving God with everything. And secondly, flourishing is when you are a change agent. You are an instrument through your words and through your actions for your family. You see, as a, every member church, we are committed to bring flourishing to our church, our family, our community, our cities, and nations. However, true flourishing comes when we walk in the fear of the Lord, when we choose His ways rather than our own. May the Lord help us. Would you bow your hearts as we pray? Just invite the worship team to come on. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.